0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Vine Church. My name is James. I'm an elder here, part of the preaching team, and I'm delighted to be joining you again as we continue our journey through the life of David. If you want to turn on your Bible, open up your Bible to 2 Samuel 3, we're going to begin there, and this is a continuation of a sermon series where we are looking at the life of David, uh, the da- King David in the Bible. You may have heard of famous stories of David and Goliath or other ones. Today is a less popular story, and week in and week out, we get to tell a story that involves many characters has intrigue, assassinations, kind of like good and bad, religious themes in it, and it's kind of strange, and it's difficult to recount those stories occasionally. But you know who is really good at recounting those sorts of stories that take place over many episodes? George Lucas. Have you ever seen a Star Wars film? I'm hoping. Like, I actually asked people this week if I give a Star Wars reference, will people get it? What percentage of people will know? I hope that you've at least heard of it. And uh, today, I want to take a, uh, a, a, I don't know, take something from George Lucas's catalog, and I'd like for us to maybe look at a long time ago in a land far, far away. This is where we're going to begin today. Before have I got your attention? It's a, this kind of gimmicky. Um, if not, are you ready? All right, I want to begin. Sorry. Uh, I recently had my kids watch Star Wars with me, and I did the annoying thing where I paused it when you got to the screen that was like this, Where it was like where it explained everything that was happening in the story, and so we we're gonna do that. And I read it to them. I'm sorry, but this is my recap, my own sort of George Lucas style recap of what's happened in the story in Samuel up to this point. All right, Israel wants a king, so they've gotten one. Saul, once appointed by God, has lost his blessing as king. David, a man after God's own heart, has been anointed and subsequently chased away by Saul. Ooh. That was like episode, I don't know, three or four. We're in episode 13 now. Saul and his son and heir, Jonathan, have died in battle, leaving an empty throne. Question Who will sit on the throne of Israel? Tension, right? Who's going to be the king? Now, Saul's loyal general Abner, so we've got another character in here. Saul's loyal general Abner has set Saul's son, Ishbosheth, in. That sounds like a Star Wars name, doesn't it? <laughs> Ishbosheth in charge over northern Israel, while David is in charge of southern Judah. So J- David's in charge of the southern portion of Judah. Will the kingdom ever be unified? You re- you're ready for the movie? And then it, uh, I, I didn't spend enough time, but I, maybe I should have, in getting, like, the scroll up, scroll out sort of thing. <laughs> uh, but you're stuck with the animations you got as we begin... Um, as we begin our, our journey through life of David. We're going to begin with verse number one. We're going to ch- kind of trace what's happening uh, throughout the theme of, of uh, or sorry, verse one in chapter three. We're going to kind of trace that theme as we go. Uh, before we do that, though, let's, let's pray. Um, God, I ask that the story in scriptures today would reveal truths about who you are and who we are in relation to you. God, I ask that any words that are spoken today, the words that, that I speak would be Uh, translated through the Holy Spirit, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be reaching into the hearts of anyone who hears this message. Um, Lord, may you be receiving every single bit of glory today as we seek to understand your word and apply it to our lives. Um, Jesus, may we see you through this 3,000-year-old story. May we encounter more truths about who you are in fulfilling this scripture as we encounter different characters and stories today. God, I thank you for who you are. Bless this time. Amen. All right, here's the the story. We're going to go through uh, kind of verse by verse, unpack what's going on, and let's turn to uh, 2 Samuel 3, verse 1, and we're going to read through this. It says, There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. And this, my friends, is like the summary of chapters three and four. And You're going to have homework this week to read, <laughs> to read the end of three and into chapter four. And this is sort of the theme for, for those two chapters. There's a civil war, house of Saul, house of David. We should at least know a little bit about these characters. And like James last week, I have everybody's favorite, a map. I have a map. Uh, there's a "Door of the Explorer" song about a map, and I don't know it. Uh, but now you're in, now you're thinking about it. All right. There's a new cast of characters in this story. We have uh, the map here shows David's kind of territory down there at the bottom. Ishbosheth's territory kind of near, near there up at the top. The house of David consists of David. Rock on. Okay, we got that right. And then David's right hand man, his general Joab. So, David's the, the king of that portion. Joab is his general among other people, like kind of the mighty men you might have heard of. And on the other side, we have the house of Saul, which you would think would be led by Saul, and it was, but he's dead, as is his heir, Jonathan. And so we get this Ishbosheth guy. He's also Saul's son. Ishbosheth is the son of Saul, but he was never really planning to be king. He's kind of an ineffectual king, as you'll see here. He's not, they've had it with him and Ishbosheth's right-hand man is Abner and Abner's a strong general who's made appearances throughout 1 Samuel he's been loyal to King Saul he's a by accounts a good general but we're going to see today he's kind of a sketchy guy so those are the those are the houses uh, but i really want to take it back to uh, to this now that we have the house of Saul and the house of David what does it mean when it says stronger and weaker So that that historical stuff is nice, it's good context, but like what we can apply from this is where does strength come from? Where does David's strength, where does Saul's strength come from and then diminish? Like who, who proclaims strength? Well, I have a Sunday school answer for you. It's God. Who gives strength? It's God. This is an easy message to kind of hear that strength comes from God, but it's a difficult one to apply as we'll see in the stories. So here's in Psalm 68, the the last verse, this is written by David. It says, Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. So, where does strength come from? Strength comes from the Lord. Strength comes from the Lord. And that's a nice message. Uh, my main point today continues on that. I think what we can glean out of the scriptures today is not only does strength come from God, but it does not come from idols. It does not come from other places where we seek to find strength. That's our main point today. Note takers rejoice. You can write that down. So what does it mean? for strength to come from God, or where does strength come from? How does it mean that, that Saul's house grew weaker, David grew stronger? I want to point out as we go through here today, what we're going to notice in these scriptures is there's not really, God isn't really entering into this story. So while we understand here, sitting in this room, that strength comes from God, we're going to see that play out poorly. We're going to see people not rely on strength from God, but rely in other things. Rely on idols. And we're going to see that in verse 2. Are you ready to get through a bunch of names? Everybody's favorite section? I like the names. I'll be honest. Let's, let's see if we can get through some of these names together. And don't, don't, lose, don't lose hope. We're going to go through some of these. Verses 2 through 5. And sons were born to David at Hebron. This is like his capital city. His firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam of Jezreel. And his second... Chiliab of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And the third, Absalom, the son of Makah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. And the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Hagith. And the fifth, Shephathiah, the son of Abital. And the sixth, Ithream of Eglah, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. Okay, what do we notice? David has multiple of participate. What, what does David have in this scripture? Wives, sons. Okay, good. We're going to talk about both of those. Multiple wives, multiple sons. What's going on? We'll get to the wives. Hold on to that for a minute. Uh, These sons, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with these names. I I haven't always been familiar with these names. So I I love George Lucas when he uh, produces Star Wars. He plays the music when the characters come on the screen. You know, something bad's going to happen. That music should be playing as we're hearing this. Amnon, ooh, Absalom, Adonijah, the AAA, they're they bad. These are bad dudes. It, it, and if you don't know those stories, that's okay. They come up later in Second Samuel and in, into Kings even. Amnon, he's going to commit one of the most tragic and disgusting crimes of the Old Testament in assaulting his sister. Absalom, he becomes Saul 2.0. We're going to repeat the story of David being chased away with Absalom. Adonijah, he's schemy, wormy, tries to make a power play at the throne, and it doesn't go well for him. It doesn't go well for any of those three, actually. And if you were a, a, a Jewish person sitting, you know, a couple thousand years ago, you would be hearing these, uh, hearing these names right off and going, ooh, dang, this is like, sorry for all the Star Wars references, but this is Anakin Skywalker, complex, a complex person in the story, right? Some good, some bad. What, what, what's going to happen? So the sons. This is not a blessing. If you if you read that, if you read verse one it said David grew stronger, and you're like, yeah, he has lots of kids. Now that's is that where his strength comes from? No, we know strength comes from God. Now, what about the wives thing here? What about the wives thing? Well, for, I want to actually first start with. Does anybody notice? Does anybody know David's first wife? Because she's conspicuously missing from this list. Anybody know? Michael, Mishal. Michael's my dad's name, so I'm going to go with Mishal today. (laughs) Is that's okay. Uh, Mishal is David's first wife, and she's not on this list. So what happened to Mishal? More on that. Put a pin in it. We'll come back. But David's got multiple wives here. Multiple wives. Is this okay? Um, The Bible is full of lots of stories, lots of commandments, and... Um, if you're new to your bible or you're a kid you might think well the bible's just full of commandments and then people following them and look how good life turns out for them that's not what the bible is i'll tell you what if i was a 9 10 11 12 year old boy in this room here and i was like i'm like king david multiple wives, interesting future life path maybe no that's not the, that's not the point that's not the point of this is that we have commandments that David knows already. There's a commandment in Deuteronomy 17, 17. You don't have to go there. Deuteronomy 17, 17. This is specifically to kings. And it says, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Prohibition against multiple wives. Not a good thing. This is not a blessing. This is David acquiring his own strength and more so using people if you, if you look back at that list, so this is prohibited in Scripture, number one. If we look back at this list, David is, we've, we've heard of James uh, preaching, James Davenport preached in May about Abigail. Really great sermon. Go back and listen to that. Um, I, where's the one? Makah. Makah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. This is a political marriage. He's scheming, right? David is trying to, trying to get alliances going, is, is sort of the general understanding of these, these verses. And the outcome of this time and Hebron with multiple wives is that three of these sons are going to die in not great fashion, not good kings, not good guys. So David here is not, is not following the commandments. He's not receiving strength from the Lord, but strengthening himself. David is strengthening himself throughout these scriptures. And this may seem really strange, like this doesn't apply to us today, right? Um, and I can agree with the multiple wives piece. I don't, haven't heard of this happening here. And, and, but what is, why is David doing this? What's his motivation? It seems to me that David is trying to craft a perfect life, a perfect family that fits the picture of what a king should look like. He's trying to make himself look like a really powerful dude, Lots of, kings should have multiple wives, Kings, according to the world. Kings should have multiple kids and sons and have lots of power, right? Lots of wealth. That's not what a king should be, according to scriptures. In Deuteronomy 17, it says the king should sit down and write the laws, like he should be uh, transcribing it for himself. He should write his own copy of the Bible. He should be a Bible nerd. That's what, that's what it says in Deuteronomy is David doing that? No, he's acquiring his own. And I think this, this is how it applies to us today, is that we try to craft our own lives to look like the world thinks it should look. While you're not out there acquiring multiple wives, having multiple sons, if you are, we need to chat. I don't think that's the case, but if it is, seriously, that's, that's a sin here. But how are we idolizing our lives in the way that it looks to an onlooking world? How could it be that you might ask questions of yourself, how could I be um, 35 and not have a career which I'm, you know, promoted six, seven, eight times already? How could I be, how could my kids behave in this way when the onlooking world thinks I should have it all together? Or how could I not have a spouse or kids? Like, am I a failure? That, that's, if you're relying on that to be your strength, then we're pursuing the same sort of idol that David is pursuing here. We'll come back to this when we get to application in the end, but now, now let's turn our attention towards Abner, sort of a, a, another character, a side character in this grand story of the life of David who's going to make an appearance. Are we ready to get into Abner? So the, the, the camera pans from David in his house, and the camera pans up to the northern part of Israel now, the northern part of Israel with Ishbosheth and the house of Saul. Okay, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner... Was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Where does his strength come from? He's making it for himself. Now, Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aya. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Without getting into the geopolitics of Concubines and everything here. Essentially, what's happening is Abner is being accused of making a power play at the throne. He's trying to take the place of Ishbosheth or take the place of Saul. He's strengthening himself. That's, that's what's going on here, and he's using people in the same way that we, we kind of saw David using Makkah and other wives to strengthen himself. Abner's being accused of doing that to Rizpah as well. So how, how is Abner going to react to this? Ishbosheth comes and accuses Abner. Ishbosheth, this kind of weak, ineffectual king, says, you're doing something wrong. How is Abner going to react? I love the Bible. Sometimes it just tells us the answers to the question. How is Abner going to react? Abner was very angry. <laughs> Verse 8, Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth, And he said, am I a dog's head of Judah? It's like a dead dog. Like, am I a dead dog? To this day, I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your brother, to his brothers, to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. And yet you charge me today with the fault concerning a woman. So Abner, verse 8, he appeals to his loyalty. He has been loyal. He's not, to, he's not lying He has been loyal to the house of Saul, and Ishbosheth is now accusing him. Um, there's some interesting, like intrigue. Why is Ishbosheth doing this? Did Abner actually do this with the concubine? We don't know, but the point is, at this moment, Abner is mad, and he is going to switch sides. Switch sides, light side to the dark side, maybe, or I don't, I don't know. He's doing this for his own scheming. But notice what happens in verse nine. So Abner is still continuing to talk to Ishbosheth. Abner says, "God do, do so to Abner." He's talking in the third person, like, God, do so to me. God, do so to Abner, and more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him. Switching sides. God, do so to me if I don't accomplish for David what the Lord swore. What What does Abner think the Lord swore to David? To transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and Judah. So Abner's kind of making a play to say, all right, David's going to become king now. From Dan to Beersheba, north to south, the whole kingdom. End quote. So Abner's done talking, and ish could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. So Abner knew what the Lord's plan was, it seems like. It seems like everybody in Israel kind of knew that David was going to become king. Yet Abner inserts himself into the story. God do so to me if I don't... What does he say that? God do so to Abner if I don't accomplish... You, sorry, i got to find it here. If I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him. So who is Abner trusting in? Who is Abner trusting in? It seems like he's trusting in himself. do you think? Like he's the primary actor. In fact, here's verse 12. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf saying, to whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me. Abner's kind of, he's making himself the main character. To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me, and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring over all Israel to you. This, this next part, like as we sort of examine the heart of what Abner's going through, I feel like this next part I need to speak to myself and anybody who's like me because I want you to notice, who is Abner? Who is this dude? Well, Abner's pretty smart. He's, he's pretty good at scheming. He's very intelligent. He's been loyal. He's accomplished. And where is he putting his strength? He's putting his strength in himself. Does Abner need to become the king here? Like, let's, let's look at the story. Is Abner kind of scheming to become the king? No. He's actually kind of cool with his own spot in the world. But he knows, in his own mind, he knows that he's the smartest person in the room. He doesn't need the title. He knows within himself, I know who's strong. I know who's the real person here, like the, the smartest person in the room. I don't know if this applies to anybody in here, but I, I'm not the boss at my work. I'm not the CEO or the president or anything. I'm not the boss over anyone. And a lot of times, in my head, I am. Because <laughs> I'm the best one here. I'm the smartest one here. Stuff doesn't get done without me. And that's, that's not true. But that's, I think the heart of that is where Abner's coming from. I don't need to be the king. I'm pulling all the strings. I got this. Where is Abner putting his strength in, his, in himself? Do we do that as well? I think if all of us are honest, yeah. we we struggle in the same way David does, where we want our life to look good for our onlooking world. Strength comes from God, not from our, the way we craft our life. Like Abner, we maybe trust in ourselves. Does our strength come from within, our own intelligence? No, it's going to fail, Abner, very shortly. Now we're going to we're going to transfer the camera, like from the scene with Abner and Ishbosheth, down to the messengers. All right, so he's going to send messengers to David. Let's see what happens. And he, this is David now, all right? So it's now, imagine David on on, on the throne of Judah, and he's sitting with his big family, and he's got the messengers from Abner, and he says, good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, what is he going to require? One thing I require of you, that is, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Mishal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. All right, let's let's take a look. What's going on here in verse thirteen? Abner brought messengers to David. David says, "Cool, let's do it. I need I Michal though. I need my first wife. Why does he need his first wife? Why does he need Michal? And what's going on with Michal? Where has she been? Well, we have we have to kind of trace back in First uh, Samuel. We're in Second Samuel in, in the first part of the scroll of Samuel. Michal falls in love with David in like chapters eighteen and nineteen and twenty. This is where she appears. She's fallen in love with David. She is Saul's daughter, and David fought. As you see here, he paid the, the bridal price of Michal. He fought in battle for Michal, but then when Saul kicked David out, Michal did not go with him. Michal helped David escape. Michal helped David escape, but David did not go back for her. This was eye opening to me. Um, this week, uh, actually a couple weeks ago, David Jordan preached about uh, another one of these strange texts where uh, didn't David chase after his wives? Like he inquired of the Lord, should I go back? Should I, uh, should I rescue my wives? You know who he didn't do that for? Mishal. This, this is, I think, really heartbreaking. Imagine being Mishal. Your dad uses you for political intrigue. You ha- you do happen to love this king to whom you are married. Your dad kicks the king out, and you're waiting like a princess in a tower, and he never comes. Saul knows that this pains David, at least that he and he at least at a political level. So he he actually marries Michal off to someone else. So Michal has been remarried. I think David's heart is on display here as we think about his interactions with Mishal. And the reason he's doing this, if you ask me, the the reason why he's doing this and asking for this woman is not out of necessarily love. There are some perhaps interpretations of this that he's doing this because he loves her so much, but he never chased after her. He never rescued her. And it's at the moment when when the, the throne is being consolidated that he finally wants her. I think David's heart is exposed here. David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, verse 14, saying, Give me my wife, Michal, for whom I paid the bridal price of a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Short story, he fought a battle against the Philistines. What happens next? I think it's really heartbreaking. Ishbosheth sent and took her, took Michal from her husband, Paltiel, the son of Laish. But her husband went with her, weeping after her. All the way to Baharim. Then Abner said to him, "Go, return." And he, Paltiel, returned. Pretty, pretty bad. Pretty bleak. Pretty awful. Like this is this would be a movie scene, would it not? I, I really wish we could spend a whole like a whole sermon on this. The the, the I think the essence, if we look at Paul, I really want to tell Paul Tiel's story and Mishal's story. Mishal does come up again, so I think she we will get to see what happens with Mishal. This is the end of Paul Tiel's story, and I'd love to spend more time on this, but the, the, the fact is the scripture is speaking to where does our strength come from? Where does our strength come from? For David, it seems to be, well, I got to look like a good king. I got to have uh, Saul's daughter with me. Otherwise, I'm not legit. I also want to tell Isbasheth's story, because Isbasheth is Mishal's brother, and his her own brother is sending her off. This is It's messed up. It's messed up. Now, Abner. We're going to transition back to Abner. He's still scheming. Verses 17, he says, and Abner conferred with the elders of Israel. All right, the elders of Israel. Imagine uh, a bunch of the... Remember how we have the house of Saul and the house of David? He's conferring with kind of the, the elders of the house of Saul, saying like, all right, it's time to consolidate power. He says... For some time past, you have been seeking David as a king over you. Now then, bring it about. For the Lord has promised David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner also spoke to Benjamin. And then Abner went to tell David at Hebron all that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin thought to do. Thought good to do. Um, This one's kind of subtle. But I want to focus on the heart of the elders of Israel. This is imagine kind of you're you're not the king, but you're one of the elders. You're kind of making decisions. It's subtle, but notice how Abner plays to their fears. How does Abner convince them that David should be their king? Is it saying, "Hey, open up the like open it up, man. Look at scriptures. This is to be your king." No, what? How does Abner convince them? He says, "You're going to get saved from the Philistines, from the hand of your enemies. You're going to be safe." everybody. You're going to be safe. That's why you want David as your king. That's where you should find your strength is in security and safety and comfort, rescue. It's subtle, but this is an idol for the elders of Israel. They do not want to live in a risk-filled world where they have to interact with these Philistines, their enemies. Do we do that? Do we trust in comfort, security, uh, mitigating all risk and all fear? that we serve that over serving God from whom our strength comes. We, we say this a lot about idols, that idols aren't necessarily in themselves. They're not bad until our heart turns them into bad things. Like money, for example, right? Is money bad? Like Money's the root of all evil, but this is like a, a, a heart issue, right? Like when you worship that, when you worship your family, the, when you worship sex, those things become idols. God means them for good. So strength and safety, like this is something that the Lord is to provide. God is the, should be the strength of the elders of Israel. So what happens next? What happens next? Abner came with 20 men to David at Hebron and David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and will gather all Israel to my Lord, the King, so they may make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace, went in shalom. Uh, In verse 21, it's very clear who Abner thinks is the main character. I will arise, I will do this. And this is meant to be, like, the the last word in this scripture today is peace. So it seems like the story wraps up really nicely. Peace. Peace. That's not the way the story goes. There's a, this, this is episode 13. We're going to have to come back for Star Wars episode 14 to see how this continues. And in fact, part of your homework is going to continue to read the story. Like, well, how does it continue? The Clip Notes version is that the next character who g- gets introduced is that guy Joab. Remember, he's the other general, David's general. Joab and Abner have it out. Does not go well for Abner. Chapter 4. It does not go well for Ishbosheth. The outcome of this, this like goes it goes in peace. He does not go necessarily in peace here for good. And, and honestly, this is kind of a sad story. This is this is not a very good text to like look for the gospel in necessarily, unless you kind of look further, right? We have to keep reading. And the good news I have for you is that Second Samuel chapter three verse twenty one. This is not the last verse in the Bible. This is not the end of the story. This is not the end where we can look for, oh man, everybody looks to strengthen themselves or to their families or to comfort. No. In fact, David's going to become king in chapter five. Sorry, I don't want to spoil next week's sermon in full. But next week, David is going to become king over Israel. But the, the apex of the story of Samuel, if you ask me, the apex of this story is found in chapter seven. We're going to get to that in a few weeks. All of like this whole story kind of wraps up when God enters into the story. Notice God is absent from all of the, these actions at this point. These people are strengthening themselves, much like we do when we worship those idols. When we get to 2 Samuel chapter 7, don't want to spoil that sermon either, but uh, we're going to see that strength in the house of David is going to come from God. Watch this. In light of our text from today, let's go to that apex. It says in 2 Samuel 7, verse 11, Moreover, this is, uh, before I read this, this is through the prophet Nathan to David. So God is speaking to David. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. That is, when you're dead, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Who's doing the acting here? It's God who's given the strength, isn't he? Does David have anything to do with the offspring business? Not in 2 Samuel 7, when God is making his covenant with him. He, this is the one who's to come, the, the offspring, he shall build a house for my name. For my name. That's God saying that for my name, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So there's someone to come. There's someone who's going to come from David's line, and it keeps going. Verse 14, I will be to him, this is the the offspring of David, someone to come from his line. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I, God, will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This offspring is going to to create a kingdom. He's inaugurating a kingdom that has come. This is all pointing to Jesus. It's not a stretch to say this. When we look at, this is one of the prophetic messages, a thousand years before Jesus comes around, who is disciplined on the cross with the stripes of the sons of men. And scripture says, by his stripes we are healed. This kingdom is going to last forever and it's going to be for God's name. Not for the house of Saul, not for the house of David, but for the Lord. And it's going to come long after long after David is dead. Our nature is to worship idols but it's clear from here that God is giving the strength. The Lord establishes the kingdom. It's by Jesus' stripes, we are healed, and the, the cross is when he becomes king. He receives a crown. He receives a robe. We need to find strength in Jesus. This is our first application point as we sort of turn, turn towards the end here. Our first application point is that we need to find our strength. It's strength comes from God. Strength is in King Jesus, the offspring of David, who came a thousand years later, born in Bethlehem, the same place where David was born. He fulfilled the law and prophets, as we sang earlier. The good news is that this story continues and that from the line of David, we have a Messiah. We have a king who is the king of kings, whose throne is established forever. This is the gospel message. And I, I know a lot of you, and for a lot of you, you've heard this message time in, time out, again and again, hundreds of times, maybe thousands. We need to hear this every day. We need to find our strength in King Jesus. Not in ourselves, not in the way our family looks, not in the way that we want our careers and lives to look to an onlooking world, but in King Jesus. And for, for those of you who maybe are hearing this for the first time, that salvation comes through faith in Christ, I, I want to pray with you today. Today's Prayer Sunday, so at the end of service, we, we welcome you up to come and pray with us. Today is the, the day where you can finally put your trust in Christ, in King Jesus, the one who is to come as prophesied in 2 Samuel 7, he did come, and he's going to come again. This is our first application point. Find your strength in King Jesus. Now, I also would ask you to examine yourself. I can't, I, I don't know your hearts. God, God does. And I ask you to examine your own heart today. Where are you placing your strength? Where do you idolize things? There's a bunch of places to look for idols. Joab has his own idols, as we'll see. But are you like the elders of Israel? This is an easy idol to go to. Comfort, safety. I want to not have anything risked. I don't want to put any skin in the game. I want to be safe. The elders of Israel, I think were trusting in that. That's what made them pursue David as king, not the word of the Lord. For those of you that, for, if, if that is a struggle for you, I put some scripture up here and I'll read it to you from Psalm 18 verses 1 and 2. We need not fear. It says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. God is your stronghold. God is the place where you can be delivered. He is your fortress. So if you Struggle with safety and being anxious in that way? Find strength in King Jesus. He is your fortress. Or perhaps you're like Abner. Maybe you're all three of these, like me. Uh, But perhaps maybe you're more like Abner, where you trust in your own self, you trust in your own intelligence and abilities. I got this. No matter what comes my way, I can handle it. And that may be true. You may be very skilled, and I praise the Lord, but that's where your strength comes from. That's where your strength comes from. Recognize your own finitude. Recognize that you are not the smartest person in the room, (laughs) necessarily. And you you might be, but there is a God who knows all. Psalm 139, verses 4 through 6. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. You have to recognize who you are in light of the king of kings. We are finite. We all pass away. But we find strength in the one who does not. He endures. His name is I am, which is true yesterday. It's true today, and it'll be true tomorrow. And then lastly, are you like David? We're looking at the life of David throughout the series, and... Are you, like David in this passage, crafting his life to look good to an onlooking world, right? This is David trying to become a king rather than allowing the Lord to make him king. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. You know who wrote Psalm 18 and Psalm 139? David. It's David. Who wrote Psalm 127? Solomon, the offspring of David, who comes next from an adulterous, murderous story that we're going to get to in the fall. And so it's been easy for us today, I think, to kind of slam dunk on David a little bit, (laughs) to to tell, like, to, ooh, David, what are you doing? Why are you doing this with Mishael and all these wives and the sons? But I think we ought to take we ought to uh, take a closer look at David and apply mercy. Last time I was up here, I, I got to preach about mercy, extending mercy to those around us. We should extend mercy to David here because he is not the Messiah. He's a complex character like you and I. And what we saw today was sort of a sliver, one scene of David's life, and we're going to go to another scene, and we're going to see David do good things, and we're going to see another scene, and he's going to do awful things. And that's like you and I. But here's the good news. Through sanctification, for those of you that place your faith in Christ, through sanctification, God can use broken people like you, like me, and like David to accomplish his kingdom's goal. Yes, we idolize these things. We, we need not fear admitting it. We do idolize these things. But through Jesus' death, his substitutionary death and resurrection on the cross, we can inherit salvation, have the Holy Spirit, and be sanctified. This is a continual process. We are saved, but continually sanctified for those of you who have placed your faith. This is sanctification. One of the ways in which we do this is through the Lord's Supper.